Amen. Well, it is such a joy to be here. I'm inviting you to take your Bibles to the 22nd chapter of the book of Genesis. Our brother who preached just a moment ago dealt with this text, but it's in my heart to preach it. And uh, I want to magnify the Lord Jesus, attempt to, from these verses. While you're finding your place in the Scriptures again, let me say it is, it's my honor to be here. It was a joy to be here last year and to get to spend some time with your pastor and uh, get to meet some of you fine folk. Uh, your church will never know what a blessing you are to so many. And uh, I know you know what a blessing your pastor is, but I want to tell you anyway uh, I echo the sentiment of all the men this week who have spoke highly of Brother Kevin. And uh, I just want him to know how much I love him. And want to thank you so much for all your kindness and your hospitality toward us, allowing us to be here. It's been my joy and been my honor. If you're in Genesis 22, I'm going to invite you to stand with me as we honor the reading of his word. I want to read together the first 14 verses. Genesis 22, beginning in verse 1. The Bible says, And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, and thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. And Abraham rose up early in the morning, and saddled his ass, and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and clave the wood for the burnt offering, and rose up and went unto the place of which God had told him. And then on the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes, and saw the place afar off, and Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son. He took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went both of them together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father. And he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together. They came to the place which God had told him of, and Abraham built an altar there, and laid the wood in order, and bound Isaac his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. He said, Lay not thy hand upon the lad, neither do anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and, behold, and looked, and behold, Behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh. As it is said to this day in the mount of the Lord, it shall be seen. Thank you for reading with me. You may be seated. 
I'm going to pray, and, and then this morning, if the Lord will help us, I want to preach to you on this simple thought, Abraham's finest hour. Abraham's finest hour. Will you bow with me? Our Father, we are in great need this morning for your help and your grace and your assistance. I need your help to preach your word, and we all need your help to hear your word. Would you do for us what you did for Lydia so many years ago, and open our hearts that we may be receptive to your word? Would you by your spirit quicken our wheels that we may respond rightly in obedience and faith to what is proclaimed in our hearing this day? May your spirit magnify the Lord Jesus through your word in our hearts, and may we be moved to worship and obedience. We ask these things for your sake, in Jesus' name, amen. On June the 18th of 1940, Winston Churchill addressed the British House of Commons in one of my favorite Churchill speeches of all time, simply called, Their Finest Hour. In that speech, Churchill urged the British people to keep up the fight against Hitler and the Nazi war machine, saying these words, Let us therefore brace ourselves to our duties, and so bear ourselves that if the British Empire and its commonwealth lasts for a thousand years, men will look back on these moments and say, This was their finest. This morning what I want to do simply is look into the Word of God at one of the most influential characters, yea, prevalent characters in all of Scripture. And as we look at his life through the lens of this chapter, I want us to consider together what I believe to be the finest hour in his faithful life. Of course, we're talking about Abraham, Father Abraham, the father of faith. Here in this text, we see the faith of Abraham put to the test, put on trial like none other character's faith, I believe, in all of Scripture. As we look at this story of Abraham and this test of his faith, I would submit we learn much about what it means to really live a life of faith. And as we look deeper and look beyond Abraham and look beyond Isaac, I believe we see much about the person and office of the living Lord Jesus who yielded himself up as a sacrifice for us. This morning I'll be brief. I want to give us and make just three simple observations from the passage. First, as we look into the text, we learn something about the demands of faith. The demands of faith. Faith can be a demanding thing. Sometimes living by faith and walking by faith requires sacrifice. Sometimes living a life of faith requires obedience and surrender to our God. Abraham, as we know, has become known as the father of faith. Again, his life stands out in the scriptural record as a man who who had great trust and faith in God and in His Word. However, there came a time in Abraham's life where the great father of faith had his faith put to the test. He was brought in this text to what I'm calling a crisis of faith. It really was. It's a crossroads, if you will. This faith is put on trial and it's examined in two points. There's two crisis points in this chapter. The first crisis was 
A crisis involving Abraham's will. We read in verses 1 and 2, And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham. And said unto him, Abraham. And he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. Well, miss what's happening here. God is literally commanding Isaac, or Abraham rather, in these verses, to take his beloved son up on the side of a mountain, plunge a knife into his throat, and kill him. With that command, Abraham is brought to his first crisis. Does he love God enough? Does he trust God enough to kill the very object of his love in obedience to God's command? Or does he love Isaac so much that he will disobey God and fail in his faith? I think we can agree. Abraham is in quite the precarious situation when we come to this chapter. He loves Isaac. He's prayed for Isaac. He's waited for Isaac. He has trusted God for Isaac. And now God wants him to offer up Isaac as a sacrifice. What is Abraham to do? Well, what do we do? In moments in our life when God requires something dear of us. Can I say again, God never promised us that living a life of faith would be easy. And He never promised us that living a life of faith would never cost us anything. Rather, the Word of God teaches us that often our faith makes demands of us that are very uncomfortable. Sometimes following the will of God and living a life of obedience to Christ means discomfort. It means hardship. Sometimes these things require much of us. And the question that determines our decision whether or not we're going to obey God or not is our devotion. What do we love most? You see, when God asks you to give something up for Him, you're you're going to follow the one you love the most. If you love God, you'll give it up. But if you love it more than you love God, following me, However, I want you to know, beloved, if your faith is genuine, at some point it may make a demand of you that will change your life forever. This first crisis in Abraham's life is a crisis involving his will. What will he do? But secondly, it's a crisis involving God's Word. The question we've got to ask this morning is how on earth could God ask such a thing of Abraham? How could God ask Abraham to offer up Isaac? And don't misunderstand me now. God's got the right to demand whatever He wants to demand of us. God can ask whatever He wants of us and be perfectly right in doing so. I'm asking that question in this sense and this sense only. How can God ask Abraham to kill Isaac and still be faithful to His Word? Again, as our brother mentioned in his message a moment ago, there was a promise attached to Isaac. God had promised Abraham that he was going to raise up a seed. He was going to raise up a mighty nation, not through Ishmael, but through Isaac. How on earth could God raise up a nation out of a dead boy? How can God be true to His Word and still require this of 
Abraham. I'm submitting on the surface. This made no sense at all to Abraham. It almost appears as if God's forgotten his covenant, doesn't it? I mean, God says he's going to raise up a nation, but has he forgotten about that when he makes this demand on him? How can the promise of God and the command of God to kill Isaac exist simultaneously in relation to God's faithfulness? Can I just say, I think this passage teaches us that sometimes living by faith requires us to trust God and be obedient to God when His word and His command to us don't make all that much sense. Sometimes God asks us to do things we can't get our head around. Sometimes God asks us to give things that make no sense to us. But beloved, what we must do in those times when we do not understand why God is asking us to do what He's asking us to do, is we must look back to what we do know about God. Abraham could trust God even though none of this made sense because he knew the character of God. He knew God was faithful, he knew God was good, he knew God was true, and he's staking all of this on that truth alone. In this passage, we see Abraham as he's confronted with the demands of faith. And again, beloved, I just want to say, sometimes we've got to take God at his word even when it doesn't make sense. He's confronted with the demands of faith, but how will Abraham respond to such demands? That leads us to our second thought. Not only the demands of faith, but we see Abraham's demonstration of faith. We read in verse 3, And Abraham rose up early in the morning, and he saddled his ass, and he took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and clave the wood for a burnt offering, and rose up and went unto the place which God told him of. By all indications at this point, it appears as if Abraham is going to do the thing. It appears at this point like Abraham is is going to obey God. He starts out like many of us do with the best of intentions. And the question we've got to ask is, do we really think Abraham's going to follow through with this? Sure, he starts out toward Mount Moriah, but is he going to actually do what God said to do? To do so would require a great deal of faith. Wouldn't you agree? Faith in two distinct things. First in this passage we see is Abraham demonstrates an unshakable faith in God's power. An unshakable faith in God's But Look at verses 4 and 5. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes, and he saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship. We're going to come back again to you. You see that? Don't miss it in the text. When Abraham, after three days of journeying, sees the place of sacrifice off in the distance... He gets off of his donkey, he takes his son, takes all the materials necessary for sacrifice, and he says to his servants, you boys hang out right here just a little while. We're going to run up the mountain, and we'll be back here in a couple days. How in the world could he say such a thing? How in the world could could Abraham claim that he and Isaac both were going to return? He knew what God asked of him, didn't he? God said, I want you to go up on the mountain and kill your son. How can he say this? Well, we've got to ask, does he plan on following through with it? Has he changed his mind on it at all? Is he planning to somehow go up the mountain and whistle his way out of this? Is he, is he planning on going to barter with God on Mount Moriah? No, no, no. I fully believe Abraham had every intention of ascending that mountain and killing his son that day. 
But I also believe he had every intention of coming back down the mountainside with Isaac in his arm. How in the world could such a thing be possible, you ask? Well, there's only one possible explanation. And that, beloved, is a resurrection. I fully believe Abraham intended to carry his boy up the mountain of sacrifice, plunge the knife in his chest, offer him up as a burnt offering to God, only to see God raise him from the dead and give him life again. All the Hebrew writers our brother quoted proves this. In Hebrews eleven seventeen through 19, we read, By faith Abraham, when he was tried, he offered up Isaac, and he that received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac thy seed shall be called, accounting that God was able to raise him up. He's believing God for a miraculous resurrection. He knows God will never break his promise. And he knows what God has asked of him. And he says, God, if you're going to ask this of me and yet fulfill your promise, you're going to have to raise the boy from the dead. In this moment of crisis, Abraham has an unshakable faith in God's power, but he also has an unshakable faith in God's provision. Read in verses 6 and 7. So Abraham, waiting on a resurrection... Plods on up the mountain, he takes the wood of the burnt offering, he lays it upon Isaac, he took the fire in his hand and a knife. They went both of them together. And somewhere along the journey, Isaac gets curious about this whole ordeal and he turns to his father and says, My father. And he says, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and behold the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Isaac's confused. He knows they're going to worship, and he knows what that means. He knows that means somebody's going to die. Somebody's blood is about to be shed. And as he plods up the lonely side of that mountain, he looks around, and he doesn't see a sacrifice. He sees all the elements there, but there's no animal to give his life. Asking his father in curiosity, Father, where is the lamb? Isaac simply resp- Abraham simply responds, my son. God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. And so they went, both of them, together. The amazing thing about Abraham's faith is he not only is trusting God to raise up Isaac from the dead after he sacrifices him, but he's also expecting God fully to provide an acceptable sacrifice in the form of a lamb. I wonder, I wonder. If you and I have this kind of faith, I'm talking about a faith that trusts God's provision, a faith that trusts God's power, and a faith that is willing to obey Him no matter what the cost because we love Him. The truth is, I I don't really have to worry or wonder all that long. This kind of faith is almost extinct in our generation. But you listen to me closely, beloved. Our God is still the same. And the same God who is able to raise a dead boy when when Abraham, his father, obeyed is still able to work in your life and meet your needs when you trust Him and obey. The same God who is able to provide for Abraham and for Isaac is able to provide for you. But if we stop there today, I have fell woefully short of my job to preach the gospel from this passage. If we stop just using or treating this passage as simply a lesson on how to have great faith, 
We have done a disjustice to our God and to His Word. Abraham's, the demands of Abraham's faith and the demonstrations of Abraham's faith lead us to the most important observation we can make from this text, and that is we see here the depiction of His faith. There is more to this story than just Abraham. And there is more to this story than just Isaac. There's more to this story than just a sacrifice and a ram and an altar and a mountain. There's, there's more than what we see on the surface. The final scene of this text is loaded theologically and I don't want to miss what God is trying to teach us here. In these verses as we look past Abraham and as we look past Isaac and we look past the surface, we see our Lord Jesus who willingly yielded Himself up as a sacrifice for us. And here in this text we see two of Christ's offices unfolded for us. First, this text teaches us something about Christ as God's Son. With anticipation building in his heart, Abraham plods up the lonely mountainside and he watches as his son carries the wood up to the mountain of sacrifice. As they walk, I can imagine Abraham looking at his boy saying, well, there's Isaac, there's the heir, there's the promised one, the child of the promise, the promised seed. I'm sure as Abraham watched him walk up the side of that mountain, he must have thought, all of my hopes, all of my dreams, all of my wishes are bound up in this one man. He had waited all his life for Isaac, and now he's watching Isaac as he carries wood up his back to the place of his death. Being a father myself, I cannot imagine what Abraham must have been feeling that day as he watched Isaac knowing that in just a few short moments, Isaac was going to have to die as a sacrifice before God. But what that reminds us of, beloved, is can you imagine what our Heavenly Father felt like when He watched His Son with wood on His back plod up the lonely mountain of sacrifice, the hill Golgotha, Calvary, to lay down His life as a substitute for you and for me. Abraham reminds us here of the Father's deep and abiding love for the Lord Jesus. Oh, sure, Abraham loved Isaac, but he did not love Isaac anything like our Heavenly Father loved His dear Son. And yet this reminds us of the Father's great love for us that He would not refrain from giving us that beloved Son to save our hell-deserving souls. In the words of the hymn writer, how deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure that He would give His only Son to make a wretch His treasure. And yet we must remember, beloved, that God not only allowed His Son's death, but He ordained and accomplished His Son's death. In verses 9 and 10 we read, And they came to the place which God had told him of, And Abraham built an altar there and he laid the wood in order. And he bound Isaac his son and he laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and he took the knife to slay his son. Now, we have the the blessing of reading this text in hindsight. We know 
that Abraham is never going to plunge that knife into the chest of his son that day. But beloved, I want to remind you that on Calvary, that's exactly what God did to his son. God did not stop in mid-swing, no. But he bruised his own son and wounded his own son for the salvation of sinners just like you and me. We need to understand this morning, it wasn't a bunch of Roman pagans that crucified our Lord. It wasn't a bunch of Roman soldiers that murdered our Lord Jesus but Jesus is on that cross as the result of the Father's good giving and the Father's wounding. The Father is the one wounding His Son on the cross. Isaiah writes in Isaiah 53, 10, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise Him. He, that is God, hath put Him, that is Christ, to grief. On the cross, God the Father. God the Father pours out His undiluted, unmixed wrath and judgment reserved against sin on His sinless Son. Everything that was headed my way was poured on the blessed back of the Son of God when He hung on Calvary that day. You listen to me. The cross is a horrific scene. It is a bloody scene. But the most painful thing about the cross is not the fact that Romans beat Him with a cat of nine tails. The most painful thing about the cross is not the crown of thorns and it's not the spears in His side. The most painful horror that our Lord experienced on the cross was the undiluted, unmixed wrath of a holy God poured out on Him for the sins of His people. It pleased the Lord to bruise Him. The Father gives His only Son and not only delivers Him up, but He pulls out His own sword and He wounds His Son on the cross that you and I might be saved. And yet Christ reminds us. God, Christ reminds us, or Isaac reminds us, that Christ did all of this willingly for us. He's not an unwilling sacrifice. If you pay close attention to the text, you'll find out real quick that Isaac never once fights against his father. Isaac never tries to get away, but it seems the indication of the text is that he yields himself to the goodwill of his father. And so our Lord Jesus willing to satisfy the will of His Father and save His people from their sin. He willingly laid Himself down on the cross and yielded Himself up a sacrifice for us. Oh yes, beloved. This story is about so much more than Abraham and his son. This is a story about God and His Son who He gave as a sacrifice for sinners. We see Christ as God's Son, but we also see Christ as God's substitute. Just as Abraham was about to plunge his knife into Isaac and yield and kill him and yield him as an offering, we're told in verses 11 and 12 that the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing that thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. Just then we're told that Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering as a sacrifice in the stead of his son. Abraham's faith in the provision of God paid off, didn't it? He trusted that God was going to provide a lamb. 
And as he's standing there on the mountainside, trusting God with every fiber of his being, God did just that. He provided a lamb. He provided a substitute for Isaac. Can I say to you, beloved, that is exactly, exactly what God did for sinners on the cross. God provided Himself a sacrifice. And He did so in the form of a substitute, the living Lord Jesus Himself. Listen to me, beloved. The death or the, the wages of sin are still inflexible. It's still death. Because we're sinners, somebody's got to die. My pastor's here, Brother Eddie. Brother Eddie used to say, I remember hearing him years ago, he'd say, because you're a sinner, you owe God one death. And that's the truth. But on the cross, God provided a substitute for sinners who took all of our death on Himself to give life to us that we may have it eternally and more abundantly. I understand, beloved, In Abraham's case, somebody's going to die on that mountain that day. Somebody's blood is going to be shed. God will have a sacrifice. God will have payment. God will have His due. The only reason Isaac got to plod back down that mountainside with his father that day is because somebody's blood was shed in his place. Beloved, the only reason you've got life about you today, the only reason heaven is your home, the only reason you are free from the wrath and the condemnation of a holy God today is because 2,000 years ago the living Lord Jesus yielded Himself up as a substitute for you. I remember reading several years ago about Abraham Lincoln's army at the beginning of the Civil War. Lincoln had begun to conscript soldiers from all over the country. And if you were wealthy in Lincoln's day, and you did not want to go to war, you could pay a certain sum of money and hire a substitute. You could pay them the money, and they would go to war for you so that you would not have to go into battle and die. The blessing of the gospel... Is Brother Kevin, when I couldn't afford a substitute, God gave His Son willingly and freely as a substitute for me. Jesus would say it this way, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Bless His name when I couldn't get one and could not pay my own debt. God sent a substitute for me to set me free from the guilt of my sin. Several years ago I was reading a story about the German reformer Martin Luther. And I'm closing. One day during family devotions, Luther read this passage to his family. And as he read the passage, he finished and he He began to make some comments and he told his family, he said, listen, Abraham did not have to kill his son that day because one day God would kill his son for Abraham. When he says that and he makes that statement, his wife, Catherine, whom he called Kitty my rib, bursted out in anger and she said to Luther, I don't believe a word of it. God would not treat his son that way. Tears in his eyes, Luther looked across the room 
and said, but Kitty, he did. He did. Can I just say this morning, I'm glad that he did. I'm glad that he laid upon him my iniquity and my sin that I might have everlasting life. Abraham's finest hour is really not him, about him. It points us to our Lord's fateful hour on the cross. It reminds us of the sacrifice that God made to save sinners from their sin. Let me ask you this morning as I close. Are you trusting in that sacrifice to save you? You do realize all our righteousness is as filthy rags before God. You do realize all of the things we prop ourselves up on Really, they're just garbage in the sight of God. The only effectual means of grace in our life come through the shed blood of the living Lord Jesus Christ. I implore you today, look to Him. You say, Pastor, I'm preacher, I'm saved. I believe God, I believe the gospel. Look again. Look again. You say, I'm a Christian. Look to Christ again. And tomorrow when you get up, look to Christ again. And next week, look to Christ again. Keep your eyes on Him who was yielded up a sacrifice for us. This, beloved, is the gospel. Christ dying in the stead of sinners. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the gospel. Thank you that when I was a sinner without strength, you gave your son to die for the ungodly like me. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you've done on my behalf. Help us to be moved with the gospel afresh. We bless you and we thank you in Jesus' name.